Some people claim that the best way to make a lot of money is through real estate. But is it the best financial move for you? It's seven figures. I'm Sandy Waters. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, helping you achieve financial success, financial independence. That's the goal of this podcast. So is real estate the way to generate wealth? Is this something that you've considered that you've thought about? My husband and I talk about this all the time. Are we missing out because we don't own rental property? Let's find out the facts today. We cash in with our expert, Al Tomedy, the Commercial Services Director at Family First Federal Credit Union. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Investing in real estate, is it as profitable as people make it out to be? Is this the way to build up a nest egg and retire? It can be. And I've seen both ends of it in my, I guess, 12 or 13 years of doing this. A lot of people do it. It's a lot of work. Um, it is a great way to make money because you are building equity. You're building, it depends if you buy the properties right too. Um, but yes, I mean, a lot of these one to four unit um, investment, I call them one to four unit, but a lot of the vest, small investment properties are very profitable. However, on a relative scale, you're not, you have to kind of build a critical mass, which was what most uh, people I've seen that have been very successful. They don't have two investment properties. They have 50. They, oh. they build themselves up because if you do the math, say it's a $100,000 home and you're getting $1,000 or $1,200 a month in rents, you're paying whatever financial institution that you finance it with a certain amount. You have to pay taxes and insurance and everything else. So let's say you make 200 bucks a month extra every month. Yeah. Well, it's $2,400 a year. You're not going to, you know, get rich doing that. Oh, but so if you, you have, have multiple properties, 50 of those, really- and now you're making 120 extra on the side. Or whatever. Okay. That's where people can really make some money and do this. And again, in theory, one of the big reasons behind people doing that is that you're basically having someone pay the mortgage for you. So at the end of a predetermined period, say 10 or 15 or 20 years, you have an asset that's free and clear that has been paid for by your tenants. And then you have cash flow that's coming off of that as well. So it does. It's kind of a long term view. It's not something you can do overnight and make a lot of money. Flipping houses is different. Okay. If you can buy them right and be able to fix them and then have someone come in and buy them, um, people do that all the time as well. It's, you know, Rochester is a fairly stable marketplace. I don't think there's certain areas that have truly appreciated that much. But if you can get into a property and buy it and have the ability to do the renovations cost effectively, then you can turn around and sell them and make some money. Okay, so if you're thinking long-term... Rental properties is fine, but you have to have multiples to really to really make a difference because it's really a multiple effect. I mean, if you even if you make a thousand dollars a month yeah. on a property, it's twelve grand a year. Okay, so I mean it, that's a lot of money, but it's not life changing money. But if you had yeah. twenty of those or thirty of those, then you're making a quarter million dollars a year or three hundred thousand dollars a year off of that same portfolio. It makes a big difference, and there okay. is a lot of costs and and. Aggravation if you're a landlord, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. I mean, you're on the hook for problems. If the toilet breaks, if something happens, they're calling you unless you get a property management company in which then, you know, you're, you're sharing some of the profits with those guys to do the handwork and the legwork and the aggravation that comes with being a landlord. Okay. So let's talk about that because flipping homes, let's put that aside just for a second because it is kind of different and the the goals are different. One's short-term, one's Mm long-term. So let's say we're entertaining the idea of rental properties. What are some things that people don't realize or recognize before they get involved in this? Um, From what I've seen, what I've heard from other people that have been successful in this, one of the biggest things is finding the right tenants, having people 
that will pay you on time, that won't give you a hard time, that won't trash their property. Well, see, that's what I remember as a kid, my grandmother, she moved back to Italy and uh, the house that was here in the U.S., she didn't sell it. She just asked my dad, can you be the landlord and have tenants come in? And it was horrible. He hated it because he's a handy guy. But at one in the morning, they would call him. It wasn't like the nine to five schedule. And he would have to jump out of bed and go over there and fix their leak or whatever it is. Well, it's, it's it, just like at home. Something usually breaks when you don't expect it to. It's not usually at 530 yeah. when you get home from work yep. or six o'clock when you get home from work. It's two o'clock in the morning and something goes and you got to try to fix it. And that's but that you're the call unless you have a property management company, which is going to eat into which, which what eats you're into your make. profit. So it's kind of an economy of scale. I would say uh, what I've seen the people that have been very successful with it is they, they typically obviously start with one or two or three or four or whatever and kind of keep building up to you get a critical mass where you can afford a property management company. And then it kind of feeds into itself where if, as you're continuing to pay down some of the properties or you get some that are free and clear, then that's just pure kind of cash flow that comes to it. So it's really an equation of how many you want to do, how profitable you can make it, and then how much you can make it to scale. Let's say you do just have one. And if you're just building up a nice little nest egg for retirement, after that house is paid for, then that money is just all profit, isn't it, at that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. But you know, again, then you're going to pay more taxes. Um, the more profits you make, the more that you're going to pay in taxes, though. So there are ways to to work around that. So a lot of people, mm-hmm. what they end up doing is refinancing those properties, taking some money back out and buying other properties. We do a lot of refinance of existing uh, properties that are there. Okay. You know, every so often, most guys really kind of, they have that portfolio as an asset base that are constantly dipping back into it as they're paying down. They take money back out to yeah. purchase more properties. So it's kind of like a pool of assets as they continue to have, if they have 10 or 20 units, say each one's worth $100,000, you know, you have a million or $2 million worth of assets in theory, um, they keep dipping back into that pool to buy the additional, the next property that they find or whatever else, or they're refinancing, try to get a lower rate. And you know, that's where all the, the banks and the, and the credit unions come in. This is almost a second job. It is. It's a big, I mean, people that do it, um, I think you almost have to get into it. If you're going to do it, you got to really kind of get into it. And people have one or two and that's fine. Um, it depends on the scale that they want to do it. I mean, you know, if you have a nice home that's you know worth a couple hundred thousand dollars and that's just kind of what you want to do, that's great. At the end of the day, you'll have a couple hundred thousand dollar asset. A lot of guys want to get into this for um, wealth generation and for okay. building a bigger uh, asset that down the line they can either unload or sell or leave to their kids or whatever else. But um, a lot of guys like the transactional part of it and like to get into it. And um, that's part of the the gig too. So they, they, they do like that part of it. And it's a, it's a very profitable business if you can make it a uh, economy of scale factor. You have to dedicate a lot of time. Oh, it's a, it's a second job for people for sure. Okay. So first thing I wish I knew before I got involved in this is the tenant, finding the right tenant. Yeah. Ten, there's a lot of work to it and it's not as easy to get the financing that you may think. Okay. Because you know, every financial institution is under regulatory uh, re- review Okay. We, all, we just can't, you know, give the money out to anybody. It's got to yeah. make sense for us. It's got to be harder nowadays. It's been harder since 2008 when there was a big banking crisis. Yep. So things have changed uh, a lot since then. Um, it's it, I think there's a lot of uh, banks and financial institutions in Rochester, so it's not. Impossible. I would say it might be. It might no. There's a lot of people that would yeah. lend you money. This kind of lending, though, there's not a lot of people that want, say, a smaller dollar value loan. Um, you know, larger institutions. I mean, we're a nonprofit as a credit union, so we're not beholden to shareholders. For the publicly traded local banks, 
you know, it's hard to move a balance sheet doing a $50,000 or $100,000 or $200,000 okay. loan when you have, you know, the pressures of the shareholders yeah. and the pressure of the, of, of the, the market to, to, to bear uh, for institutions like ours and some other nonprofits in the area, other credit unions. Yeah, it makes more sense. And we, we do try to do more community oriented and community based okay. uh, lending practices. Okay, so one, the tenants, two, beware or just be cautious that it might be a little bit harder to get the loan. What's another, I wish I knew before I, I started this. I think it's a lot of work. Mm. I think people, it, it seems easy on TV. You watch the same thing yeah. in building, Every flipping, show, and everything everybody's else. making money, I mean, right. you know, those guys that are doing those flip shows have crews that come in and do everything. Mm-hmm. You see like when they come, okay, guys, come on in. And they just blow it out because they have 12 guys working on it for a month. Well, if it's just you, just you know, yeah. think about it. It's going to take you a few months to flip a house, and you got to really know the marketplace. You got to be able to find the right buyer. You got to, you know, there's a lot to it. Um, I think the investment property um, marketplace in Rochester is extremely hot right now. There's a lot of people that are buying these properties. There's a lot of people that are doing it. You know, the shift in demographics away from, um, I guess, a traditional home buying. The millennials are coming. I know the buzzword is the millennials, but it's true. Millennials don't want to own homes the way that say. Uh, I hate age us, but our generation may yeah, want to own a home. Yeah, I get it. Us um, old people. <laughs> us old people in our, you know, in our forties, like, oh my God, you're With so old. Um, you know, we, I think we were that kind of last generation that really said, I want to own a home and do this. That's how I was raised to, that's my goal is to own a house. Yes. And, and that's to how own it outright, not my to have wife a and I were the same way that we wanted to own a home. And that's, yeah, you know, that's and you know, isn't that we supposed have, to be the we both have children? So yeah. it's kind of what well, you want the kids to be in raised in a safe environment. But you know, millennials are like, I want flexibility. So mm. the rental properties and the rental avenues have gone up and up and up. And as if you look at the demographics, you know, there's, there's the baby boomers, then there's us, and then there's the millennials. The millennials are another big wave that are like the baby boomers. There's more of them than there are of us. So as the even now the baby boomers are, are coming out, you see more and more downtown development and more all the apartments and, yeah. and rental properties down here because they don't want the uh, house in wherever in Monroe County where the tax base is extremely high and everyone pays a ton of taxes. They can move out of that. The kids are out of the house. They want to downsize. They go downtown. So they're renting. They, maybe they have a place in Florida or somewhere else, whatever else. But you know they're, they're moving downtown. People are buying these really nice apartments in the city now. And you see a lot of development for the cities because they're moving out of the suburbs into the city or wherever yeah. else they're downsizing. That's kind of a normal avenue. I mean, you see the condos and the, yeah. um, you know, all the things that are kind of popping up because they don't want the big house anymore. I mean, if you have a 3,000 or 2,500 square foot house and there's two of you, do you really need that anymore? Right. So, the, but millennials on the other side don't want that. They want to be able to have the flexibility to travel or move or do whatever. Yeah. You know, and their college loans, they're dealing with college loans that they have to pay huge. off, which might make the pool of tenants the opposite of what the stigma is. Mm-hmm. Typically, you think that a, a person who rents a house is, oh, boy, I don't know if I could trust that tenant. But now if you're saying there's an influx of millennials that are. There's a lot of people that they don't want, want families. A, they just don't a, want a lot of people just don't want to own a home. God, is that really the financially smart way to do it, though, is to rent for the rest of your life? Don't you it, want to build up that? I, you know, there's been studies on both sides of that. You know, you're not paying taxes. You're not, you know, you're not building equity, but you know, but you you're have forever a, paying. You have a fixed, you know, but you think about a 30. Okay. Well, once you get a 30 year mortgage or a 25 year mortgage or a 20 year mortgage. Yeah. But you're the paying, goal is to pay that off sooner. If you can. If you can. If you work hard. And, yes. If you work hard and then, you know, kids come and the, and, and 
expenses increase yeah. and everything else. I mean, so everybody's different. There's, as you know, you can go on the internet and find studies for both ways of these things. But yeah, you know, I think it's really more of a lifestyle issue for the, the millennials. I mean, people are getting married later. People are having kids later. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, it's not unheard of. People start having kids in their thirties. So, you know, and I feel like the millennials are the ones that are really interested in this, having rental properties. Mm-hmm. They the see it idea as another avenue, of, yeah. as an av- another avenue of wealth. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, the demographics for this marketplace kind of play out to a lot of rental area. There's just a lot of people that are renting. Um, it's a very hot marketplace right now. How much I mean, money do you need to 20% down? 20% you need? down. Yeah. Because it's a rental property. It's different than if it was for your. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a residential lender, so I don't know okay. all the regulations on that. But from a commercial perspective, yeah, I mean, we want some skin in the game. Okay. We're just not going to give you 100% of the financing and you can come in and do what you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we want to make sure you have skin in the game. Yeah. It gives us a cushion, too, in case something does happen. You know, that's part of the underwriting package that we got to, you know, we're, we're basically every institution, you know, lends money at risk for profit. We're a nonprofit, but we still have to make money to keep the doors open and provide yeah. our, our services to our members. That's what, that's what lending is in general. So, you know, there's a risk component with that. Yeah. And whether or not you're a good risk is what our underwriting department and, and what our my job is to make sure that we're, we're taking the appropriate risk to protect our members' assets and our members' uh, deposits and, and provide another revenue stream for the uh, institution. Do you, if you have one property, the very first time that you're trying this out, would you advise to go commercial to turn it into a commercial LLC or just... Under your own name. I, I think most people talk to their attorneys about this and what okay. they really want. Okay. Because there is, in theory, the LLC is really kind of give you a buffer between your personal assets and the corporate assets. So the LLC is a limited liability corporation. That's what it stands for. Uh, and again, I'm not an attorney, but that's that's there to help protect you in the case of something happens, you know, lawsuits or whatever else. Yeah. There is a corporation to kind of work with before they get to you directly. All right. Um, that's kind of the concept anyway the behind it. are a little bit different, but it's something to think about. I would have it never is. even thought about that. Yeah, it is. I mean, that, and that's, you know, one of the things I think most people don't realize. I mean, I, you got to have a good accountant and a good attorney. Yeah. And then hopefully someone, a financial advisor, whether it be, you know, us as, you know, a lending institution or your or your financial institution, yeah. credit union, yeah. or, you know, your financial advisor, whatever else, they can help guide you on this stuff. And you, we all see, if you're in this business, you see a lot of it and we can give you some advice. You know, advice is typically free from, from our perspective, you know, so we can tell you what we've seen in the past. And again, a lot of that though, it's every individual's comfort level. Yeah. You know, some people don't care. Some people may want as much uh, protection as they can. You know, there's insurance, there's tax, there's all sorts of stuff that comes into this before you just jump into it. I think you need to be very cautious and make sure you do a little bit of research and figure out how you want it structured. Because if you do do one home, you may want to do five. Okay, did you think that down the path of how yeah. that's going to work? Um, a lot of guys just got into this and started doing it, and they figured it out down the way. But there is a lot of, uh, there's definitely different avenues to, to, to take. Is there something else that people overlook or aren't aware of? Yeah, the cost of commercial lending is one okay. thing I would caution. A commercial loan, if it's a million-dollar commercial loan or a $100,000 commercial loan, it's more or less the same. There's not... A lot of difference. It's just an extra zero. So the cost of getting the appraisal, uh, we have to look at the environmental if it's over the, you know, a certain threshold mm-hmm. um, or a certain type of property. There are a lot of things that we have to do to secure the property because that's our collateral. That's what we're basing it in. And when you're talking the, the cost, what, we, what numbers are we talking? You know, it depends on Let's say a $100,000 $100, loan, you know, you're, with legal fees and everything else, 
you know, it could be seven or eight thousand dollars. So it's seven or eight. In addition to that twenty percent. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, so, that gives you a mindset of where yeah, you need to be there's financially. A lot of, there's a lot of cost too, but now that seven or eight thousand dollars on a million dollar loan doesn't seem so bad. Sticker shock of what people don't expect that because they're used to say a residential property where it's very streamlined. It's very easy. It's a different. One of the big things that all the guys in the lending community have had this discussion before is, oh my God, it costs so much money. Oh my God, the attorney fees cost so much money. There's a lot of work that goes into perfecting the lien. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. It's not just a cookie cutter, very clean process. It go there's much more to it. Okay. And I think that's always something that people are amazed at the actual cost. And I try to warn them up front and I go, because if you do smaller loans, say for a again, sixty or a hundred thousand dollar property, it could be a three hundred thousand dollar property. It's gonna cost you about the same. So that's going to be more expensive relatively if you're doing smaller properties. Okay. What about flipping property? The people that do it know how to do it. They can come in and turn them quickly and, and buy the right properties and then try to flip them and, and, and make some money that way. Okay. So the people who are flipping homes are those, like you said, they know how to fix houses. They, they know this is not really, um, it doesn't overwhelm them. No, and that. people do it. People buy them and individually do it if they're handy or if they feel like they can yeah. fix them. People do it all the time. And it, it it really depends if you get the right property at the right price and okay. how much you can, you know, it's the same. It's like, I hate to say, it's like the TV shows. They come in and go, well, this one, you know, we can stick a hundred into it and make an extra 200 on this. And they know the property and they know the area. I think that's a big part of it because the worst thing you can do is buy something, think you know the property, know the area, know the pricing, put the money back in and you're not making any money when you try to turn it. Or whether or not people want to buy it. I think I think a lot of people that I know that do this, very few people do it kind of small time. Next time my husband and I are sitting out in the back patio with our glass of sangria and he brings up that idea of maybe we should rent. I'm going to be like, no. Well, you Listen can. to Ale's podcast. This you, is exhausting. That's a lot of but work. But then you got to say, okay, this is just we're doing this one property and that's fine. That might actually be, be easier. Most people get into it. If you're just doing just to kind of have someone pay it for like a lake house. Yeah, maybe. Well, the lake house, you can reap the benefits during the summer. Okay, I understand that. If you can find the right property at the right price, okay. But just to try to make enough revenue to give yourself a little bit more cushion, I feel like I'm just going to invest in the market. You can do it wisely. I mean, again, I don't know how much Rasha ever appreciates. And that's the difference between, say, other marketplaces in the country. Okay. I mean, whatever, whatever you bought your home for has really appreciated that much. You know what I mean? Like, how much does it really appreciate in Rochester? It's not like it goes from a $250,000 home to a $500,000 home or to a oh, million dollar home. we almost stayed level. We're, we're oh. a very flat marketplace. I mean, I don't know, whatever you bought your home at, how much do you think, you're, how much did you appreciate? Depending on the, the neighborhood, maybe it's gone up a little bit, but how much? No, that's a very valid you know, point. So it's not like this place, is, it's not like a Phoenix or some of these other places, or maybe like a really high growth area where, oh my God, we got it in this neighborhood and it's great and now it's worth Two times what or we paid for. Or if it. way, way back in the day, our parents' generation, they bought a house on Canandaigua Lake. Yeah, now they're okay. Well, yeah. Their taxes are 40 grand, 50 grand a, a year on those places. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, I mean, I think that's the one thing I've, I've been able to do this for a while. Most of the people that really want to kind of get into it, it's a lot. There's diff- It's hard. It's a barrier to entry because you've got to have some capital to get into it, or else you got to go to the private financing route, which is very expensive. There's a lot of people that do it. Um, and we do that sometimes where we deal with people that get into private finance, they fix it up, they get it generating income, and then we try to help them take them take out the private financing and stuff like that. It's a really good business if you can do it, um, but you got it's a lot of work. Okay, it's time for um, our return on investment. 
You dedicated your time to this podcast and we really appreciate it. So the final financial nugget that we can walk away with. I think it's an individual choice if you want to get into this business. A lot of people do it. It is a lot of work. It can be very profitable if you do it correctly. And it's probably a little more expensive than you may think to get traditional financing from a financial institution, either a bank or hopefully a federal credit union like ourselves. But the uh, you know that's the difference. There is a lot of work to it. I think you had to have a system. There's a lot of people that do this and make a lot of money doing it. But I do believe it's almost like another full time job for those people that are really trying to accumulate wealth doing it. The other piece is if you just want to do something small time, a lot of people do that as well, just as another small revenue stream, or they're generating an asset down the line to be able to you know sell or whatever else down the line that someone else is really paying for. And I think that's a lot of the appeal to people. They always say, well, if someone can pay me for it, it's yeah. great. But it is a commitment. Then you're talking a you know, 10 to 15 or 20 year commitment to get that paid off. And if you're willing to do it, a lot of people do it. And a lot of people are very successful at it. And credit unions typically offer lower rates, too, when you're looking. Yes. I mean, we this. are a nonprofit institution. We're a community-based organization. There's a lot of benefits for credit unions that are against a traditional commercial bank. You know, we don't offer prepayment penalties, which is nice for people. So, I mean, most traditional banks have some form of prepayment penalty mm-hmm. included in that. We do not. You know, we typically offer longer, say, terms and amortizations uh, versus a commercial a commercial bank. And then we typically offer lower rates. That's how we give back to the uh, community, which we uh, are lucky to serve in. Al Tomedy, the Commercial Services Director at Family First Federal Credit Union. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. All right. Next week on Seven Figures, our financial rut. We've all been there. It happens to the best of us. If you're in your financial rut right now, not your proudest moment financially, no worries. We're going to take care of you. We're going to cash in with our experts at Consumer Credit Counseling Services of Rochester. These are the non-for-profit guys. Their mission is to help their clients get out of debt, stay out of debt, and they're the experts on all your credit score questions. Next week on 7 Figures. Any topics that you want us to explore, let me know. On Twitter at 7 Figures Pod, or you can email me directly at sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. Thanks for subscribing on iTunes and on Google Play. Talk to you next week.